Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to the Rachman Review. I'm Gideon Rachman, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator of the Financial Times. This week, we're looking at Brazil and its president, Jair Bolsonaro. Brazil's suffered the second-highest number of recorded COVID-19 deaths of any country in the world, and the pandemic's still raging. Political tensions are rising ahead of a presidential election next year. My guest is Oliver Stunkel, a professor of international relations at the Cotulio Vargas Foundation in Sao Paulo. So, how bad could things get in Bolsonaro's Brazil? Ever since his election in 2018, Jair Bolsonaro has been a controversial figure, a right-wing populist who embraced the title the Trump of the Tropics. At a time of rising concern about climate change, there's been condemnation of his willingness to accelerate the deforestation of the Amazon. Foreign governments have protested, and so have indigenous peoples within Brazil, whose traditional lands are under threat as commercial agriculture and miners advance. In the last month, there have been protests outside the Brazilian parliament. Even more than Trump, Bolsonaro took a pretty casual attitude to the pandemic, even addressed rallies of anti-lockdown protesters. But Brazil is suffering badly. Last month, mourners in Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro lit 500 candles to mark the half a million people who've died during the coronavirus pandemic. And in recent weeks, anti-Bolsonaro protesters have taken to the streets again, calling for him to resign. Social and political tensions are rising, and the presidential election campaign next year will raise tensions further. So when I got Oliver Stunkel on the line... I started by asking him to assess Bolsonaro's political situation at this delicate moment in Brazilian history. Yes, I would say that for about the first 18 months of the pandemic, the president has managed to create this dichotomy uh, between people who are supposedly in favor of social distancing measures, in favor of lockdown measures, and the others who are in favor of the economy and in favor of jobs. And he clearly positioned himself to be that person defending jobs, who said that only rich people can work remotely. So all these public health experts, mayors, governors, etc., who propose these measures, they're distant from what life is like in Brazil. And that was quite popular, I think. He was able to not assume responsibility for human costs of the pandemic. He said, this is something we basically have to accept. There's no way we can change it. And until late last year, most Brazilians did not think the president was responsible for the situation uh, that Brazil was going through, both in terms of the economy and in terms of public health. Now, I think it seems that for the first time, a lot of Brazilians realize that Brazil is basically in the worst of both worlds. It's a terrible economic crisis, 
record unemployment, and at the same time, more than half a million deaths and a pandemic that's basically still out of control. On top of that now, you have a series of alleged corruption scandals, and I think that explains why his approval ratings are now finally sliding quite quickly. And what are these corruption scandals? Are his circle accused of profiting from COVID? And is there any threat that there'll be comeback, some kind of court action or investigation or even impeachment? Well, it's important to remind ourselves that Bolsonaro also emerged on the political scene as somebody who rejected, quote unquote, old politics, which in Brazil is seen as this practice of engaging with a large number of parties in Congress, offering pork barrel spending in return, and then they're basically gaining their support. And that involves a lot of, you know, backroom dealings and has sort of a bad reputation in Brazil. And he vowed to stop that and basically sort of govern with popular support. And then throughout the past year, he had to change his approach to fend off the risk of impeachment. And now he's very much engaged with these very practices that he had vowed to combat. So it's basically just a question of time until cases of corruption would emerge because on top of pork barrel spending, you know, it's the possibilities of graft which make these small parties traditionally support a president. So now there's been a case of a health official who supposedly asked for bribes in the context of purchasing vaccines. There's still revelations about Bolsonaro as congressman. He was 28 years in Congress having skimmed off parts of the salaries of his advisors, which is illegal in Brazil. So there's a series of cases now coming up, and the president had to change his approach from saying there's no corruption in my government to saying, you know, I can't really control what's going on in all my ministries. And as this emerges, he seems to be suffering in the opinion polls. Brazil has a presidential election next year. It sounds like Bolsonaro is already laying the ground for a Trump-style claim that the election was fraudulent. Yes, the president has, in remarkable detail, in a very systematic fashion, begun to question the legitimacy of Brazil's voting system, has said that even in the election he won, there has been fraud. He said that, in fact, he supposedly won in, in the first round and not as he did in practice in the runoff. And now as the situation is changing, as pressure is growing on him, he is saying that the kinds of problems that we've seen in the United States are coming to Brazil. He was one of the last presidents in the world to recognize Biden's victory. I mean, this is very important to maintain his internal narrative. And research shows that a growing number of Brazilians is starting to have doubts. And I think that if he loses the elections, that could be a scenario in which he basically says, you know, I need to stay on in order to protect democracy, in order to protect the Constitution, and add to that a lot of doubts about whether the police forces and the armed forces would be on the side of democracy or, you know, be on the side of the president, the incumbent. So let's just examine that a bit further. I mean, obviously, when Trump came up with these charges, He didn't succeed. The courts held the line. The army didn't come over to his side. Are you suggesting that the Brazilian system is likely to be less resilient? I mean, looking at both elements, the courts and then the possibility of, I suppose, a military coup. 
Well, I think the electoral system is actually more sophisticated in the United States. I think it's very hard to identify cases of fraud, but clearly Bolsonaro has been able over the past years to engage the armed forces and bring them into his government. There's now about 6,000 members of the armed forces in the Brazilian government, about half of them retired, the rest active duty, which creates a lot of concerns because having all these military men and women in government creates a lot of benefits, proximity to power, allows them to protect their interests. And in such a situation, of course, there may be some of them who sort of say, well, it's in my personal interest to make sure that this president stays on. The police forces are seen to be even more vulnerable, I think, to the kinds of ideas that to some extent are quite similar to far-right ideas that appear in other parts of the world. A recent research project suggests that about a fifth of Brazil's police forces explicitly embrace authoritarian ideas. Uh, only a minority believes that the electoral system is trustworthy. So yes, I, I think there's a greater risk that at least part of the country's security, establishment security forces could react differently from what we've seen in the United States. And more broadly, how has Bolsonaro's situation been affected by the loss of Trump? Because more than any other world leader I can think of, he identified very closely with Trump. He was nicknamed the Trump of the tropics. Now that Trump has gone, has he suffered a loss of confidence or a weakening of his situation? Yes, I, I would say that uh, Trump's defeat has been really a disaster for Bolsonaro because he was able to point to President Trump and say, you know, this is the future. I have strong support by, you know, the most powerful politician in the world. I have direct access to the White House, even though he couldn't really present any great results in the bilateral relationship because Trump didn't really care that much about Bolsonaro. He did at least, you know, he had pictures with Trump. His sons met with White House advisors. So that was one important thing for Bolsonaro supporters who tend to admire Trump as well. Now, I think more importantly, the kind of global dynamic the Trump administration produced was ideal for Bolsonaro because he could, in a way, swim in the slipstream of, of the U.S. government, the entire international community, was above all concerned about what Trump was doing, paying less attention to Bolsonaro. And Bolsonaro could be quite sure that in terms of human rights, in terms of authoritarian rhetoric, in terms of the environment, he'd basically more or less have Trump's support. So in that sense, the situation now changed. And I would say that the dismissal of the self-professed anti-globalist foreign minister and the very, very controversial environment minister are a direct consequence of the Biden victory late last year. And presumably, sticking to the environment, which is a particular source of international concern because of the importance of the Amazon to the global environment, the fact that this year is going to have a huge UN conference on climate change is only kind of increasing the pressure on him on that issue. But what's actually happening on the ground? I mean, is the Amazon being despoiled at a continuing rapid rate. Yes, like we've seen deforestation rates skyrocket over the past uh, months. The president has systematically reduced funding for 
the structures that were put in place over the past decades to combat deforestation. And that has been one of his key campaign promises. And that's a challenge also for the international community because Bolsonaro was elected on this proposal to deregulate and to facilitate deforestation, reviving a key idea that was promoted during the military dictatorship, that it was necessary to tame the Amazon, it was necessary to develop the Amazon economically, and it was important to occupy the Amazon to face down the supposed threats of foreign intervention. And that is why the kinds of public attacks that we've seen over the past years, for example, by French President Macron, are actually good for Bolsonaro because they help him strengthen this narrative that the environmental concerns abroad are actually little more than a fig leaf for imperialist, colonialist ambitions to take away all the minerals and and public riches in the Amazon. And that actually it is necessary to strengthen the presence in the Amazon, to send even more people to the Amazon, to develop the Amazon economically in order to fend off these kinds of threats. So to my mind, negotiations behind closed doors tend to be better. And now with Biden being basically on the same page with Europe, I think the ability of the international community to put pressure on Bolsonaro is much greater than it was last year, for example. So how uh, do you think it's going to play out? I mean, is there also a Brazilian environmental movement with any strength or is that really a negligible concern? Is it really up to the international community to find a way, whether that's pressure or, as you suggest, maybe behind the scenes to try to do something about this situation? Well, I think the majority of Brazilians disagrees with Bolsonaro's Amazon policies. I think a key element of his governing coalition are loggers, illegal miners, small-scale farmers, who, differently from large-scale farmers, are unaware or not interested in the response that this kind of approach generates internationally. They're not really concerned about the risk of boycotts against Brazilian products abroad. So these people continue to be part of their very loyal group that Bolsonaro still depends on today. At the same time, for international actors, I think it's crucial to engage subnational government in Brazil, civil society, And that was something that Bolsonaro has tried to undermine. Norway and Germany, for example, supported the Amazon Fund for many years. And that was suspended after the Brazilian government sought to exclude civil society from the decision-making process of how to distribute funds to combat deforestation. So I think there's a lot of partners in Brazil ready to engage and participate and cooperate with the international community as Other countries are seeking to help them reduce deforestation and reestablish and strengthen again the structures that have been built before Bolsonaro to protect the Amazon. And of course, the most sort of powerful potential opposition figure in Brazilian politics, former President Lula, is now out of prison, having been freed by the courts and campaigning and in all likelihood likely to run against Bolsonaro. How is his political situation now? How is he playing things as he limbers up for next year's election? Well, Lula, who governed Brazil from 2003 to 2010, he calls himself a political metamorphosis. So he's been really on several different places along the ideological spectrum, emerged as a far-left leader in the 80s, And then in the late 1990s, decided to change his tone 
and actually present himself as a center-left leader who would respect private property, be an orthodox on the economic front, but really focus on reducing inequality and reducing poverty. And he governed pretty much as a centrist, essentially. I mean, there was some, I would say, radical rhetoric, perhaps on the foreign policy front. But if you look at his actual economic policies, you know, he was pretty much a centrist. And then after the impeachment of his successor, Dilma Rousseff, he briefly radicalized again to avoid the emergence of a rival party on the left. And now that he's again seeking to return to power, he's embracing a more moderate language. And I would expect him to pick a VP who's either an orthodox economist or a a businessman. And I think he's seeking to replicate Biden's strategy in the United States last year, saying that I'm the Democratic candidate and this is not about Lula against Bolsonaro, but this is about Bolsonaro against democracy. And he's been already making moves to attract groups that have supported Bolsonaro over the past years, the evangelicals, and also some of the poorest who've received cash transfer payments from the Bolsonaro government over the past year. So he's clearly positioning himself as a centrist. And I think at this stage, considering that uh, Bolsonaro is in trouble, I think he's most probably the favorite to win, providing that we'll see a free and fair election next year in Brazil. Just before we finish, let's return to the human situation, which obviously is the background against which this is all playing out. I mean, as as you mentioned, Brazil has 500,000 dead, which must be the second highest total in the world. And presumably their vaccine program, unlike that in the United States, is not nearly as developed. So there doesn't sound like there's any kind of hope of relief in the immediate uh, future. Yes, that's right. And I think part of the reason why Bolsonaro is losing support is that many people are also looking towards other countries and see that, you know, at least in Europe, in the United States, things are slowly going back to normal, while in Brazil, they're clearly not. And we continue to have daily death rates above 1,000. There's really no clear path at this stage towards a full return to normality. In Brazil, as in many neighboring countries, schools have been closed for more time than anywhere else in the world, which will produce a devastating impact on the region's combat against inequality, because obviously the poorest are suffering most with the situation. And I think one of the other problems, of course, is that the president, more than Trump, much more than Trump, who always maintained scientists, you know, as part of his government. I mean, Bolsonaro has systematically purged the government from people who would refuse to defend chloroquine or other bogus medicine publicly. And as a consequence, I think there is a significant amount of the population who continues not to take this virus very seriously, who continues to oppose distancing measures. And if you look at the policies that Brazilian governors have adopted, it has always been sort of a piecemeal approach because the president at no stage sought to coordinate a national approach of how to address this problem. And I think that is one of the key reasons why not only Brazil, but Latin America as a whole continues to struggle with the pandemic and why, unfortunately, many experts expect Brazil to overtake the United States at some stage when it comes to the total number of COVID deaths. That was Oliver Stunkel of the Getulio Vargas Foundation in Brazil, ending this edition of the Rachman Review. Thanks for listening. 
And please join us again next week for more discussion of international politics.